Hello and welcome back to Modern Animism, a very convoluted guide. I'm your podcast host Sarah Jane and this is episode 15 of an inexhaustible number. In the last few podcasts I have been looking quite loosely at the history of animism and hopefully throwing in some tidbits that may be of use. But in this session I'm going to look at how anthropologists classified animism. Prior to animism or modern animism, both those being different things. And hopefully I'll tie together by looking at quantum theory and some of the previous things we covered in the last couple of podcasts. Now apparently anthropologists classify animism into three groups. Now in my head, I thought it was four groups, so I might have invented one. In, but if it comes to mind later on in the podcast, I will just do a reduction. Of the three forms of traditional animism, the first type is known as hylozoism. And this is the belief that the universe is a living organism. And we still find this relevant in concepts such as Gaia theory. I spoke briefly about altruism theory, a spin-off from the Copenhagen alternative worlds theory. And it's the belief that the universe consciously has adapted itself in the way it makes it able to sustain physical life. And this is a form of hylozoism. Hylozoism suggests that rather than being a god who initiates all activity, the universe is a living, breathing mechanism in its own right. This ties into the concept of causality that I spoke of in an earlier podcast, that as humans, we're caught in a cycle of cause and effect. Animism is special as a theology because it doesn't sell you some kind of salvation. No one is liberated by animism. There are no processes through which you become better people. Therefore, we stand against free will, but we still believe in a form of causality. Processes are occurring around us. Hylozoism, as a form of animism, rejects the idea that all objects have life or a life force and there is no sense of totemism within it. This is in complete contrast to our next form of animism, panpsychism. This is where the world is populated with non-human peoples. But unlike hylozoism, these people don't need to have that intellectual capacity. There is no altruism. Hylozoism was marked by that large universal consciousness is taking shape, moving things within our world. But panpsychism teaches that objects have life, but this life is not necessarily equivalent to human life. Indeed, not all objects around us contain life, and some objects are marked as being special. The third form of animism is vitalism which looks at energy or force. Vitalism often relates to rivers 
winds or mountains. Then further are spiritual mechanisms at work that gives these objects a presence or a feeling or a sensitivity you can be tuned to. Some forms of modern animists are real advocates of vitalism. They look for animistic resonance in architecture, gardens and topography. They go around developing a sense of awe and connection between humanity and the natural landscape. This form of animism is not about living objects or of supernatural neighbours, but it gives explanation for the unexplained phenomenal, the arrivals of spring. But unlike the other two forms of animism, vitalism doesn't promote the concept of there being any other species other than humans who have a soul. And that's the main anthropological opinion on animism. But we must be aware that animists face a lot of stigmatisation. Psychologists have frequently translated animist beliefs into some kind of misplaced anthropomorphism, where ideas of human worth are projected onto another species in a manner that only equates to a primitive superstition, some fitting for enlightened and an intellectual person. In the last podcast, which is about sacrifice and prophecy, we mentioned that animism, and indeed all religions, started at the point where humans became self-aware. They needed to understand their mortality and be in relationships to understand paternity and fidelity and then want to create a legacy to continue after their death. But additionally, social scientists point out that animism is something inherent contained within the human psyche. All children up to the age of seven would play with toys as animists. We believe the objects have a voice, have relationships, not only to ourselves but to each other. This suggests that it's possible that animism is a fundamental part of human evolution. This answers the question of which came first, the goddess culture, of creatrix, or of animistic beliefs, and totemism. But it seems as if seeing life forces in objects was important to the survival of early humans. If you perceive that your rocks and shadows are a life force, it could necessarily pre-prepare you for attacks by real animals and beasts. After all, it's better to be prepared for all eventualities. And we call this form of awareness hyperperception. You have hyperperception of one's personal surroundings, and this inbuilt mechanism is what gives us animism in modern day explains why after so many millennials animism still stays lingering in our society in our folklore in our mythology and stuff our beliefs are encoded into our dna new animism followed anthropology and the invention of social science we're talking about newer animism and not modern animism for the two are different things New animism was the use of animism for propaganda. It's the rise of society 
that utilises animism to create personal boundaries and promote nationalist agendas. I discussed animism and nationalism in more depth in a previous podcast. We show as an example the Japanese promotion of Shintoism as a national religion. As this came into effect in the middle of the 19th century, this promoted their emperor as being a descendant of the sun god and therefore gave credence to their superiority, which coincided with their invasion of Korea and Hokkaido. Alternately, modern animism, or rather modern animist, takes several forms, and there are several different ways of working with animist beliefs within our own societies. Versions of modern animism that you find running concurrently. Firstly, there is an activist animism. This teaches that animism is a state of being or a chain of consciousness, a way of perceiving the world. We don't just see the intellectual capacity, we see a sort of interconnection and this can be seen within a process of meditation, of connection to the outside world. It's a form of active mindfulness that links us into an animist form of consciousness. It's not quite related to the shamanistic um, type of journeying, but more related to meditation practices. And independently of whether we see animist as an energy within nature or as a form of soul that potentially exists in all objects. Secondly, there's ecological animists, such as myself, who see animism as a philosophy that needs to be promoted in society, since only by entering a better relationship with the environment will stop exploitation of our planet's natural resources. And thirdly, there are people who engage with modern animism since it promotes a feminist perspective. Not only do we associate animism with matriarchal societies, as I mentioned when I was talking about the Mu culture, but there are those people who see the way we treat the environment as being very patriarchal, that we must dominate and control it. This stems from our sense of otherness that I mentioned right back in the first podcast. Everything in our society is based upon them and us, control and coercion. Didn't I also point out that animal groups with higher rates of intelligence and communication could be both matriarchal and patriarchal, but the groups that work cooperatively were matriarchal, and male-dominated groups had a tendency towards violence, politics, and when they worked cooperatively, it was to overthrow senior figures and redesignate power within their groups. Modern animism falls against this kind of patriarchy because it removes the labels between the different groups. This is why I was so keen to tell you earlier on in the podcast that modern animism never utilizes terminology that is ableist or speciesist. We aim to give a true balance within the planet and not one that's based upon physical or intellectual superiority. Now in this podcast, I did promise you that I would talk about a 
animism and breath work but I've already reached my data limit so I'll leave that to the next week and thank you for listening <laughs>